Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, John Vauder, a research associate and an editor at the Institute. With me today is Amitindu Palit, Senior Research Fellow and Research Lead, Trade and Economics, ISES. He is here to talk to us about the release of India's Union Budget 2022, presented in Parliament by Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman on Tuesday. This year's budget is critical for the Indian economy as it emerges from a turbulent pandemic period, well poised for a robust rebound. Along with shoring up India's resiliency against uncertain external shocks, the budget charts out India's continued economic convalescence and enhanced, even supercharged, growth in future. Finally, with the first phase of assembly elections in five states beginning on the 7th of February, many have speculated about whether the government would, in the budget, prioritize India's long-term growth or populist measures for voters. Amitindu, welcome to South Asia Chat. Thank you so much, John, and a pleasure to join you on this discussion. So to start us off, the Economic Survey 2021-2022 was tabled in Parliament on Monday, which states that the Indian economy will grow by 9.2% in the current year, demonstrating a dramatic turnaround from the economic contraction of 7.3% in 2021. These stats confirm optimistic reports that the Indian economy is ready to take on new challenges in 2022-2023. However, the survey also warns that the post-COVID economy will be not merely a reinflation of the pre-COVID economy, and that India's growth may be affected by technological disruption, geopolitics, supply chains, climate change, and changing consumer behavior. Did this survey reconfirm your views on the Indian economy, or or is there anything in the document that surprised you? Thank you so much for uh, raising the economic survey, John, because uh, typically what happens is that in the discussions surrounding the union budget, the economic survey tends to lose out on the prominence it deserves. And on this particular occasion, as you shared, the economic survey has been quite accurate. And I largely agree uh, with the assessment that it has provided because uh, there are a couple of things that we need to note. Uh, The first is that this is an unusual year in several respects, uh, not just because of the fact that uh, we are still going through the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, there are fresh surges that are occurring across various parts of the world and most notably in India. But it is also unusual uh, because we we are gradually getting into that cycle around India where people have started talking about and thinking about the next general elections that will take place in the country, which are just uh, just a little more than two years away. So typically, uh, this is a budget which needed to address uh, multiple perspectives. It needed to look at the public health challenges. It needed to look at the concerns for maintaining economic growth. And of course, it can't overlook the political landscape that is uh, gradually panning out through various important uh, state elections. I would uh, first uh, suggest that when we look at the numbers that we are talking about for the Indian economy as such, and as you mentioned, 9.2% is the estimate that has been provided by the Central Statistical Organization. Uh, This follows a contraction of 7.3%, which I believe is now being uh, corrected to a little less in terms of 6.3% or 6.4%. 
Uh, on the other hand, there are also some views that India might eventually end up with a growth rate which might be a little lower than 9% as well because the IMF has revised it to 9% and there are some views from within the government as well which probably is uh, kind of converging around an 8.5% to 9% uh, sort of number. But whatever it be, it's an impressive number. Uh, but it's an impressive number with the caveat that it comes out of a very low baseline because let's not forget that financial year 2020 was really you know, one out of the blue, the kind of contraction that it experienced. And then from there, a rebound was expected. The challenge is to maintain this rebound. Now, in that challenge, uh, there are a few factors which the survey has mentioned. And uh, technological disruption obviously has been a factor which has been there with the economy for uh, several years, but it has been hastened by the pandemic. And there are a large number of orientations and adjustments which businesses are having to make, not just with the way uh, they produce and organize shop flow practices, but also with uh, somewhat unanticipated challenges like working from home and the kind of uh, issues which these uh, modules produce. Uh, the geopolitics is something which we are uh, well aware of. And the US-China technology race has had uh, very lasting uh, implications for the way countries organize themselves around global supply chains and the positions they take on these. And finally, I think climate change is going to be the defining uh, context of all uh, economic policies and the macroeconomic uh, um, strategies that a country like India takes from here onward, not just because of the pledges that it has announced in the last Glasgow COP26, but also because of the fact that now I think uh, people in India, the common people, realize what climate change actually is because extreme weather events and fickle weather events have really become very visible and they are living through this. So I think climate change is no longer uh, as most people felt at a point in time, a subject for largely uh, drawing room and boardroom conversations. It's no longer that. It's pretty much on and affecting lives of people. So I think the economic survey assessment is quite accurate in that regard. Mm. And you had uh, mentioned just now the balance between the economic challenges um, and also encouraging growth. And this is something uh, which al was also widely discussed um, in the media before the release of the budget. Um, several analysts had spoken on the need for the budget to strike a balancing act between fiscal consolidation by reining in pandemic-era spending um, while also addressing macro stabilization um, while bolstering India's uh, growth. So the union budget um, appears to have endorsed more spending with continued intervention on the supply side to keep the economy expanding and humming. In your opinion, has the budget hit the targets that the government uh, needed um, to transform India into a $5 trillion economy? John, I think the realization uh, that the government had at the time of preparing the budget uh, was the very obvious uh, you know, understanding that uh, the government has to spend. And public investment has to be kept at a high level because uh, private investment is simply not forthcoming at this point in time. Now, um, I won't say that uh, it's, it's a problem of uh, the economy not producing enough opportunities. It's just that because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the issues surrounding it, private investors have been cautious because we have seen the last year the stock market has been uh, rising to very big highs, but it has been volatile. 
At the same time, around the world, there are a number of uh, odd changes that are happening. Uh, there, ha- there were last year issues uh, around, uh, you know, a large-scale financial mobilization uh, that arose after the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan. Today, there is a serious crisis about what might happen if Russia invades Ukraine, and those sentiments are affecting global markets. There is a concern over the global oil prices and the way these are going to behave. So I think the long and short of it is that in India, there is this clear realization that one can't really depend completely on private investment now to kickstart and maintain the recovery. Uh, Public investment has to come in and public investment has to go into those areas which are supportive of overall recovery, including generation of new livelihoods and sustaining those. So as a result of that, you see uh, two elements in this budget. The first is uh, what we normally refer to as capex, the capital expenditure, uh, that's really received a very high, uh, uh, high level of increase uh, compared with what it was there last year, around a thirty-five percent increase. And this is where I think the uh, finance minister has also uh, deviated uh, from the objective of fiscal consolidation because had she been orthodox in that regard, uh, she could not have uh, increased the capex by the amount that she has done. And the capex is mostly going into areas uh, which are expected to be job creating and which are expected to support aggregate demand, which is essential infrastructure. So we see a huge boost in infrastructure spending, uh, not just on the central government side and central government projects, but also as far as the state governments are concerned. But one interesting point over here is, John, that I think the government went into a budget, uh, this particular budget, with a certain degree of confidence about revenues. And there are two reasons for it. One is that uh, just before the budget, you you had the Maharaja coming home. Uh, So, you know, in the ephemeral sense of the Air India being uh, brought over by the Tatas and that money uh, coming over into the government treasury, uh, which was a fairly solid amount, which will enable the government uh, to get pretty close to the privatization and disinvestment targets that it had projected in FY21 budget estimates. Secondly, the government is fast-tracking the public offering for the Life Insurance Corporation, and this is expected to get a very good market response. And thirdly, in this particular year, as the budget announced, uh, there are going to be auctions for the 5G bandwidth telecom spectrum. So I think the government to that extent is pretty confident about mobilizing resources without pushing too hard on the taxes. And there was a trivia which the minister shared uh, when she presented the budget, a fact which was not mentioned in the budget, but she read out separately that the collections for the month of January 2022, as far as the GST is concerned, were actually the highest since the GST ever came into implementation. So I think there are these indications which has given that uh, confidence to the government that, look, we can go high on expenditure. We can try pushing public investment as effectively and aggressively as possible and yet not be too concerned about expenditures overshooting revenues by a great amount because there is money which is coming into the treasury through privatization, through fresh IPOs, uh, through new GST, which shows a certain robustness in the economy. So to that extent, yes, I think uh, there has been uh, a reasonably good uh, sort of uh, situating of the macroeconomic stabilization. There are, of course, gaps that are there in so far as the overall understanding 
and addressing of the macroeconomic context is concerned. I mean, one of the things which I'm personally a little disappointed with is with the, you know, uh, domestic prices that are concerned. And unfortunately, that does not seem to have been adequately reflected in the policies of the budget. But on the whole, uh, since you alluded to macroeconomic consolidation, I think there has more or less been a sincere attempt to stick to that. Infrastructure received particular prominence uh, with a pipeline um, of projects mentioned under the PM Gati Shakti National Master Plan. And it seems to me that infrastructure will play a pivotal role in the economy's growth moving forward. Uh, would you like to comment on the ways in which uh, infrastructure will shape this, this growth and recovery? Yes, certainly, John. I think uh, you, have, uh, you have underlined the basic uh, understanding about infrastructure, which is there in the minds of the policymakers as they look at as an engine for turning around the economy. And there are these seven engines which have been mentioned in the Gati Shakti Yojana in terms of the roads, ports, civil aviation, and so on and so forth, all about multimodal connectivity. And the uh, big point over here is that when infrastructure is pushed, it creates public assets for uh, enabling uh, movement of people and goods and so on and so forth. And at the same time, it also creates jobs. So while on one hand, it in, in encourages spending in a productive way, on the other hand, it generates income. And people are able to spend more on the consumption side from the jobs that they get as, as a result of their being a part of this infrastructure generation process. And I think one of the important points to be noted here is that uh, you will recall that when the government first handled the pandemic in 2020 and there was a lockdown, uh, that led to a mass uh, movement backwards of migrant labor into their villages, uh, which was essentially a retreat from the various MSMEs and jobs that they were occupying in the urban sector. Now, uh, there has to be a way of getting these people back, maybe not to their old jobs, but certainly back to livelihood. And there cannot be any better alternative than infrastructure. And at some stage, uh, the government also is mindful of the fact that the duration of the welfare programs, uh, the handouts that it has been giving out since the beginning of the pandemic, it cannot be open-ended. So the economy has to go back to a cycle of uh, investments, creating demand, creating further consumption demand, which again coming back uh, to generation of more investments. And that has to be a virtuous cycle. And somewhere, somehow, uh, the economy has to get into that groove. So I believe there's no better way than infrastructure in achieving that because a country like India still has a large infrastructure deficit. There are large parts of the country which require to be connected New roads need to be built, old roads need to be upgraded, ports need to be developed, uh, air connectivity needs to come in, and the budget has mentioned this very uh, interesting proposal to develop ropeways, uh, you know, using cable cars, so which can be a very interesting eco-friendly way of uh, uh, public transport uh, development. So I think, uh, yes, really from all perspectives, uh, infrastructure is really the way to go forward. And Amitindu, I wish that you were with us here longer because there are many, uh, many other important areas of the economy which we could discuss. Um, given the short time that we have, um, there are two areas um, I'd like to focus on in particular, agriculture and manufacturing. Uh, both have been in the political spotlight in recent years, given the protesters' push to repeal the farm laws um, and pledges by the government to make India self-reliant, um, especially in manufacturing. 
So both of these sectors are also critical in the inclusive dimension. And you yourself mentioned the retreat of many workers back to villages and figuring out how to create jobs for them. Um, during the pandemic time, agriculture absorbed um, a large portion of the Indian workforce. Um, and the new budget states that the production-linked incentive uh, PLI scheme could create as many as 60 lock jobs in the next five years. What does the new budget indicate to you about the government's forthcoming treatment of these two important sectors? One of the uh, very promising signals, John, that has come out from the latest growth numbers is that uh, the recovery, and uh, we alluded to this in the beginning of around a 9.2% growth rate in the GDP for the current year, it appears to be uh, you know, a broad-based recovery with a particular uh, robustness in manufacturing. I think that is surely a very encouraging sign, a sign of the fact that uh, there is uh, certainly a pent-up demand for manufacturing products in the country, both from industry as well as from consumers. So the manufacturing capacity is back to almost being at uh, full capacity utilization, uh, which is really engaging uh, factories in a fairly active fashion. And at the same time, uh, the agriculture sector is clearly doing well because the agriculture sector happens to be a major consumer of industrial products. So if they had not been doing well, the agriculture connected people, communities and occupations, then the demand for manufacturing uh, goods uh, would not have been what uh, it is today. So I think this uh, puts the economic understanding into a fairly uh, convincing uh, path of recovery that both agriculture and manufacturing are working together uh, to give the economy a broad uh, momentum. What is uh, really going to be an important factor going ahead from here is that, uh, as you know, India is an economy which is primarily services oriented and almost uh, two thirds of the Indian GDP comes from services, big services like uh, transport, communication, hospitality, tourism, hotels, uh, finance. And many of these services, particularly services like uh, the hospitality sector, the real estate and so on and so forth, are uh, big providers of jobs. So I guess what happened was that if we look back at 2021, till about the last quarter of the calendar year, uh, there was a fairly robust revival in all these sectors, including real estate, including finance, including hospitality. But then uh, Omicron came along and that created a dent. Uh, I guess there was this little bit of fear as the government went ahead into the budget that how long will the Omicron last and what kind of impact will it have on the prospects of the economy as we go ahead? Luckily, at this point in time, it seems that the Omicron surge has plateaued in the country and the economic hit has not been very large. So the expectation will be that uh, manufacturing will continue to perform, uh, at least uh, in, a, in a sensible fashion, in a decent fashion, supported by the PLI incentives that you alluded to. Uh, enough incentives for increasing domestic capacity and uh, the budget uh, actually announced a very, very significant incentive for manufacturing solar photovoltaic modules, a very large increase in the scope for PLI. Uh, there has been uh, fairly substantive support just before the budget provided to the semiconductor industry and also to uh, you know uh, critical minerals and uh, so on and so forth. So 
The expectation is that the PLI schemes will continue to give manufacturing the support that they require. I mean, a reflection of this is also being seen in the larger exports from the country, which have experienced a turnaround. And the agriculture sector, fortunately, in spite of the difficulties that have surrounded it, and I mostly allude to the political difficulties surrounding agriculture in terms of the firm laws and the decision to repeal them and the protests that we saw prior to that, uh, fortunately does not seem to have uh, really affected the output. So unless and until one looks at uh, very severe weather disturbances down the line, uh, one would expect the current crop cycle to be fairly abundant, and which means that there is no immediate concern about supplies, but there is concern about inflation. And that is a con uh, concern which going ahead, the government will need to handle well, maybe more the Reserve Bank of India than the government on its own level. But this will remain a worry for policymakers. Hmm. And there were also uh, several other I suppose, new economic developments or curveballs, if you will, um, that struck me in this year's budget. Um, one of them was, of course, the attention, like you mentioned, paid to climate change, um, the second digital economy, um, and the different uh, particular measures wrapped up in these, um, like the transition to electric vehicles, the announcement of a digital version of the rupee, um, and taxation on cryptocurrencies. So how did these items reflect some of the critical changes that the Indian economy um, is expected to face in the near future. Let me start with the last one that you mentioned, John, the uh, digital uh, currency, which, which got a thumbs up uh, from the government as far as its introduction is concerned. But I think more important than that is actually the decision to tax uh, digital assets, the transfer of digital financial assets, uh, which, uh, in fact, very funnily enough, without using the word cryptocurrency, uh, completely alludes to only uh, cryptocurrencies. So to me, this is an affirmation of the fact that the government has actually accepted private cryptocurrencies and their trading, because otherwise there is no point in levying a tax on those transfers. So I think this to an extent puts an end to the controversy which has been uh, dominating uh, financial and economic conversations for quite some time that would the government uh, ban private cryptocurrencies? Would they regulate them? What would be the way forward? I think by announcing this decision, the government has made it very clear that yes, private cryptocurrencies will have a place in the economy and maybe uh, down the line one can expect a formal set of regulations to come out for them. As far as climate change is concerned, this budget was expected to contribute uh, well to the goals of climate change. India is expected to become a net zero economy by 2070. It is expected to uh, make almost 50% of its power requirements come from renewable energy by 2030. And 2030 now at least uh, does not look to be very distant. So I think it, it required to put in place policies and as you mentioned, uh, interesting policies have come, and I would particularly be looking forward to the details that are going to come out as far as a special mobility zone with zero fossil fuel policy has been announced. Uh, the details of this will be eagerly awaited. Uh, similarly, the battering swapping policy for electric vehicles, that's also going to be, I think, very interesting in so far as augmenting public charging uh, infrastructure facilities are concerned. Uh, the government has announced uh, the go-ahead for green bonds through which it wants to mobilize as much of resources as uh, 
possible. There is also infrastructure status that has been announced for uh, large-scale batteries and uh, dense charging infrastructure. I think uh, on the whole, uh, there has not been any shortage of innovative ideas. Uh, there has been a good enough emphasis, uh, as I mentioned earlier, again, the PLI scheme expansion for solar photovoltaic modules. Uh, you know, taken together, the emphasis has been pretty strong in so far as putting stuff uh, into the visibility and commitment of the COP26 goals that India have achieved a concern. But uh, what I really want to uh, caution on this point is the fact that ultimately addressing climate change uh, is, is, is not really the fundamental concern of the budget. The budget can at best provide a direction. The budget can initiate policies and maybe earmark some funds in some particular areas. Ultimately, what becomes very important is uh, to have a sufficient amount of buy-in into these policies from the state and local governments, uh, the industry and businesses and various other stakeholders involved. So say, for example, the budget has tried to be sufficiently uh, micro by announcing that large commercial buildings in the country uh, will be having energy efficiency and saving standards. Uh, they will be uh, sort of subjected to energy audits and so on and so forth. But this is an intention. This is a suggestion given by the budget. Ultimately, the finance ministry or the finance minister is not going to go out and carry these audits up. It's important for the people and the uh, regulators and maybe the owners of the buildings or the people working there to take the cue from here and introduce those practices as far as their premises and habitats are concerned. So to that extent, the budget has also probably been a bit aspirational in trying to send out signals uh, to the broader community as to what should be the best way forward. Well, Amitendu, thank you so much for helping us to make sense of the direction uh, and the aspirations that have been set by the new union budget. And as the new regulations and details for some of these frontier industries come out, uh, we look forward to having you back then uh, to talk with us on South Asia Chat. My pleasure, John. Have a good day and wish you a very happy and prosperous year of the tiger. Thank you. Thank you.